We believe the Bible is absolutely infallible, and it's used for teaching doctrine, for correcting and training in righteousness. And so uh, right now we're in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 8. Last week I beat up on husbands and wives a little bit, and this week we're going to beat up on everyone. Woo, here we go. No, the Bible comes, it does it. Sometimes it challenges us, it encourages us, it brings life. Heavenly Father, as we get into the Word today, we just thank you for uh, what you've spoken to us through it. We thank you for the Apostle Peter and his words. And God, I pray that you would just help them to come to life, to bring encouragement and challenge, and that we would all grow to maturity and reach, uh, reach maturity in, the, in, this, in this life here, God. And we thank you for your perfection that's also imputed to us. Bless this time in the Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At the end of the service today, um, we're going to invite um, those who uh, took the membership class a couple of weeks ago and have um, been, they, they read over all their notes and are ready to commit themselves as a member of BBCC. Part of this message is really talking about um, who we are as a body, not just as, as the body, uh, the members of Christian Center, but who we are as the body of Christ. And First Peter chapter 3 in verse 8 starts out with finally, which when, a, when I'm preaching, you're always waiting for me to say finally. But, um, but just like with Peter, um, he, just like with me and Peter, we both lie when we say finally. So he is only chapter 3. There's a couple more chapters, and he says finally, but he's kind of turning a corner. And he just talked about, if you remember the last couple of weeks, he talked about slaves. He talked about um, slaves submitting to, to their owners. He talked about all people submitting to the government. He talked about wives submitting to their husbands. He talked to husbands to love their wives and to um, understand them. And now he says, finally, all of you. So what he's actually saying, he's talk, not just talking now to husbands and slaves and, and all this. He's talking to everybody in the church. Now, the majority of people in the church at the time fit into one of those categories. Um, you know, and so, but he's making sure he's not leaving anybody out. So this morning, this is messages for all of us. If you are part of all of you, then we're good to go. So finally, all of you, and he, and he goes and he begins this thing. We're going to talk about five things that he talks about right away in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, and the very first one he talks about, he says, all of you, one, be of one mind. Be of one mind. So he's writing, again, he's writing to the church. This isn't to non-Christians. This letter is to Christians. If you're in this room this morning and, and have called on Jesus to be your Savior, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a Christian, this is for us today. And he's telling us as the church, this is a local expression, the letter is written to a local body like Big Bear Christian Center, and he says, all of you be of one mind. One mind. Now, the, the Greek word for that really is pretty is pretty accurate when it says one mind. It's homophrone. And homo is, is that the same. It means the same. And the other is it means thinking, but it also can mean understanding, even feeling. Because in this room right now, uh, we, we can be, um, we're probably of the same mind in a number of things. But I guarantee you we're not in the same mind of everything. If I started naming off baseball teams, okay, right? Why? You know, we would have a whole bunch of different baseball teams. If I started talking about football, 
we could really get into some trouble this week if I started talking about football, right? We're not all of the same mind in everything. So, but, but so what we're talking about is be of the same mind in, in the important things in life. And as a church, we need to be in the same mind of, of the, the important doctrine. We need to be in the same mind of who God is and why he created us and understanding that we are walking this walk together and that we can disagree on which baseball team or which football team. We can disagree even in politics and be of the same mind in the things that are most important in life because those things aren't important. In fact, I mean, it's actually really fun to sit down and watch a football game with somebody who's not of the same mind. Because, you know, at least for us guys, because we just like that, oh, the challenge, and we can, you know, sit and watch that game and just in your face. And, but, but the reason we can do that there is because we are of the same mind in other ways. So understanding that the same mind is understanding and feeling. Church, we need to, to keep our eye on the prize. We need to find out what's most important in life. And look around you and understand that we are believers in Jesus Christ. And we should be of the same mind. Not let the differences that we have, and there are plenty, divide us. But instead, have that sameness and sameness in our minds. Um, in, in Big Bear Christian Center, one of the things that we, we talked about a few weeks ago, there's a lot of doctrines, which is another fancy word for teachings, in the world and in the, even in the church. And I agree with... Uh, Whoever originally said it, Augustine was, was quoted as saying it, but in the, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have um, liberty, thank you. And in, in all things, we have charity, which is love. So in the essential things here at the church, we need to make sure we believe the same things. If we're going to fellowship on a weekly basis and, and serve Jesus together, the essential things, we need to have unity. We're going to have liberty in a lot of different doctrines, like the rapture. Is the rapture before the tribulation, during the tribulation, after the tribulation, is a post-wrath premillennial, <laughs> right? We're, we're going to have all these different understandings of end times theology. Is the Antichrist going to come from? Uh, you know, are the stars in the sky lining up to say that September 23rd was the last day? Obviously, that wasn't it. We're still here. Those things, we have liberty. We're not going to be dogmatic on those things. Those, those, are, the, the, those are really unsure doctrines. But we are going to have unity. And so as, as a church, we need to, to find out the, the big things. Um, one, you know, I'm just going to give a couple that, that I think are big. And it's important. Who is God? God is God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the beginning. He is the end. He wasn't created. There are not many gods. There's one God. And he reveals himself in the, in the form of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. So we believe that, that God is the, the uncaused cause. He is, he is not a life force. He is an actual being, and he created all of us. So that's important. We believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is part of the Trinity. He is co-equal with the Father. This is important that we understand that Jesus is not one of many gods. Uh, there's, there's a group out there that retranslate the Bible. In John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. He's talking about Jesus. No, Jesus was not a God. Jesus is God. We believe that Jesus is co-equal with God. It's very important. That he died for our sins literally. It's not figurative. He didn't come to give us the best life now. He came to bring eternal life. 
became the Savior of our souls. He is our Lord and Savior. We believe that. We, we don't change on these things. We're in one mind on that. Um, the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is, is God. It's not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? We believe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are part of the triune God. And the Holy Spirit is active in our life and wants to be active in our life. That he has come to give the fruit of the Spirit in believers, but he's also come to give gifts to believers. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that, that the stuff we read in the book of Acts didn't end a couple thousand years ago. That there is still the moving of the Holy Spirit in gifts of supernatural healings and prophecies and speaking in tongues. This morning you may have heard somebody next to you speaking in another language. It might, we have people who speak Norwegian here and Spanish and German, and maybe it was that, or maybe they were praying to the Lord in tongues. We believe that's an expression of the Holy Spirit. Um, so we believe the Holy Spirit wants to be active in our life. We believe the Bible. I already talked about this. This is the, the Word of God. It's inspired. We accept it entirely as the Word of God in its originally, in original manuscript. You know, now some people mistranslate it, and so we, we, you know, we believe that originally it was it was infallible, and so we spend a lot of time trying to find out, hey, are these manuscripts that we have are they valid? Are they good? And as we've gone on today, we have so many more manuscripts available to us that have backed up the validity of the Bible, and there's a, there's a few discrepancies between the Textus Receptus and the majority text and all that stuff, but for the you know, and so we look through those things, we see this is the Word of God. Um, in this church, we happen to pr preach from a lots of different versions be to, to find um, different ways that are more accurate. So we believe the Bible is our source of life. It's the final court of appeals on all points. It's it. We don't go to anywhere else. What, says, what does the Bible say? Hey, pastor, what do you think I should do in this? What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says I should do this. I think you should disobey it. No, we go to the Bible. It's the final court of appeals. So that's important. These are the things that we, we believe that, that we were created in the image of God. The people, we were created in the image of God, and we blew it. We fell, we sinned, sin entered into the human race, and we are absolutely, here's a wonderful word, incorrigible. We cannot be corrected. We can only be saved. The Spirit of God lives inside of us, but our flesh is flesh. That's why no matter how long you've been serving Jesus, you still struggle with sin. It actually is because your flesh is bad. It's flesh. But Christ that lives in us, he makes us perfect. So outside of Christ, we cannot have perfection. We are human. We are fallible. And because of that, we have a lot of grace for one another. We believe salvation is absolutely necessary to go to heaven. There is no other way. Jesus Christ said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man may come to the Father but by me. So we talk about Jesus all the time. We talk about salvation. Because anyone who comes here, we want to make sure they hear that Jesus Christ died for our sin, that we might have life eternal and life abundant. Salvation is absolutely, absolutely necessary. And it's by faith, not by works. You can't earn it. No one can earn it. So we're always talking about Jesus. Jesus, and we need you, and we need you. Because of that. We also believe about eternity, there is a heaven, there is a hell. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and sacrifice. Heaven is going to be a glorious, wonderful place. It's not imagination. We don't just stop existing. Someday we will all live eternally, whether we live eternally with, with God in heaven. 
because of his forgiveness and salvation, or to, we will live eternally separated from God, which is hell. And those are, you know, if I were to say those are the main things, there's going to be a lot of other stuff. We're going to live in harmony in these things. We're of one mind, and if we realize that these are the pretty important things, you know, where do you shop? Vons or Stater Brothers? I like Vons. $5 Fridays. I like Stater Brothers. I go to Winco because it's cheaper. Right? Those aren't important. You know, not, compared to these things, really nothing is important. So as Christians, one of the things Peter's writing to us is like, listen, be of one mind and realize this is the important stuff and all the other stuff, not so much. And because of this, we can have unity and harmony with one another and go, you know what? Man, I don't like the way you dress. I think your football team is horrible. I think the car you drive is ugly. But boy, we just love Jesus together and want to see the kingdom come. His will be done. And because of that, all those other things, that's the way guys talk to each other, right? Girls, you know, but, you know we, 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 might, we might dog on each other a little bit, but no, we have unity in these things, and that's what brings us together. And so we're encouraged by Peter to say, listen, you got some problems with each other? Realize we're of one mind. Let the other things go. We need to focus. The enemy wants to distract us. So, so he says, be of one mind. And then he goes on and he says, um, having compassion for one another. Having compassion. Your version might say sympathize with, an, uh, with, with each other. Sympathize or have compassion. It comes from two words in the Greek, sympathis, and it means simply this. The, the first word, sum or soon, means together, companionship, or union. And the second part means feeling, passion, sensation, impression. So he's saying, be, have companionship. Be together in your feelings, in your passions, in your sensations. Be sympathetic. Be compassionate with one another. Do you know the difference between sympathy and empathy? You know, we hear both of them. They're, they're not interchangeable. Sympathy is when you, when you feel for somebody. You really do. You, you're like, wow, that seems like what you're going through is really, really difficult. Um, some of your versions might actually say pity, pitiful. We, that's a weird word for us because, you know, you go, oh, you're pitiful. That's not what it's saying, just to make sure. Don't think everyone else is pitiful. But we're having compassion. Did we get somebody to turn on the AC because it's really warm? Gary, could you, or Jim, thanks. At least it is for me. Um, you know, so, so we want to have compassion on others, whatever they're going through. That's sympathy. Now, empathy is a gift that some of you can have with other people because you actually have gone through something similar. I can have sympathy with a woman in the pain of childbirth. I can't have empathy with a woman for the pain of childbirth. Except I've had kidney stones, so maybe. Okay, but but you know what I mean. I can't empathize with somebody if I've never, you know, if if you've never lost a parent or a spouse or a child, and you're talking to somebody who's lost a parent or a spouse or a child, you can sympathize with them, but you can't empathize with them. So so that's just a little little bit of difference. So we're looking for sympathy, but also empathy. And what's wonderful in a body of Christ like this. There will be people that can not just sympathize with you. They can empathize with you. And if that's you, part of your calling and your gift is to go to people that are struggling similarly and struggle with them. Have companionship in difficulty. Don't do it from afar off. I am so sorry for you. You look pitiful over there. 
have a good day. We have companionship in the difficulty. Companionship in those passionate, difficult places. That's one of the things that we're, we're called to, is to sympathize. The next one is love each other. Love each other. Have brotherly love. And that's the word. It actually does come from Philadelphia, phileo. It's a brotherly love. And, and so the focus isn't just on the love part. The focus also is on the brotherly part. Okay, so, so we got to understand it's not just love one another, but understand we are brothers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That means we're family. That means that our love has got to supersede those people that we love from afar and never have to deal with again. He's actually helping us to understand we're stuck with each other. You know, we're family. We're going to have a, a level of understanding and compassion because we're family. For one of us, so it's a call to understand that we're part of the family as well. Um, I mean, I don't know about, but you know, I don't know how, how it is in your family, but there are people in my immediate family and extended family that honestly, if we weren't blood relatives, we probably would have nothing in common and we, we probably wouldn't spend any time together. But because we're family, there's such a deep passion and compassion and love for one another. And, and that's what the writer, First Peter, Peter's trying to tell us, listen, don't just love each other from afar. Understand, you're part of the family. And so that takes it up to a whole nother level. So we're, we're, we're going to be of the same mind. We're going to have sympathy and compassion for others. We're going to love one another as brothers. Then it goes on and says, be tenderhearted. And when I was studying this out in, in the Greek, I thought, boy, it's very similar to sympathy. The word, I love the word where it comes from. It's, it's usplanknoi. Usplanknoi. The word splankna is a wonderful Greek word because it's fun to say. Isn't it weird words? Splankna literally means guts. Bowels. Liver, heart. All of that is called the splankna. And believe it or not, in Old Testament writings or in old, old biblical writings and old Greek writings, they would use the word, I love you with all of my splankna. <laughs> with all of my bowels, I love you. <laughs> so we clean it up and we say, I love you with all of my heart. And that sounds so lovely. Until you realize what a heart is and it's just this little piece of muscle that's pumping blood and doesn't look like this. I mean, I love you with all of my bowels. In other words, my gut reaction from the deepest part of who I am, that's the understanding of the word splankna. And so I hope if you don't remember anything else today, you'll just walk out and say, I don't remember anything that Pastor Rob said, but splankna is a cool word. <laughs> And so, so the word you, which is in, in, in Greek, E-U, but it's just like, you know, Y-O-O-U, means good. So he's saying, have good bowels for one another. <laughs> have a good visceral gut 
response from the depth of your heart towards one another. You know, I mean, it's like, wow, this is really fun. We're, we we want to, it's got to be deep. And he's saying, so it's compassion. It, it's actually translated as compassion and sympathetic, just like the other word. But it's it's taking it like another, you, in case you didn't get it the first time, compassion, sympathy, listen, from the very deepest part of who you are, that gut response, get that to be love for one another. Good feelings, good intentions from your very innermost being, you splankna. It goes on. I'm going really fast, but I think I don't think I need to go any slower. It's going okay. It goes on to the last one here, and it says, "Be humble." Now this is this is this is important to kind of get. We think of humility today, you know, as, as a very good trait. Believe it or not, in Roman in Greco-Roman culture, humility was not good. You weren't looking for humility in people. In fact, humility was a sign of weakness. Let me read you a couple things. Um, the word humilitas in Latin, or tapenos, which is the one we're working on today in Greek, meant something closer to debased or crushed. It was a term reserved for failure and shame. Ancient Greeks considered uh, 140 maxims. So they, they had all these sayings. Um, and and uh, from the 6th century of ethical life, they had 146 sayings to say this is what ethical life should look like. Humility was not mentioned in one of them. I mean, you think of 146 things for life to be, and humility is not one of them. Humility in this time was not something about honor. Um, it would seem that uh, building someone's honor reputation would be way more advantageous than humbling yourself. Um, another, another writer wrote this in, a, in Baker Exegetical Commentary that I was reading this week. Uh, a particular relevance to the Christian readers of First Peter, to humble oneself was to declare oneself powerless to defend one's status. These are qualities that ran counter to the trends of first century society, as they do often in our own today. Get ahead. Do whatever you have to do. Right? And so we're kind of taught that, but on the other side, we hear the other side. Be humble. So Peter is writing to a group of people. All these other things can be okay. Okay, love and be compassionate. And then he says, be humble. And like, anyone else would say, whoa, 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 uh-uh, time out. We're not doing that. But Peter is ready to be countercultural, as we're supposed to be countercultural. Jesus taught us, someone strikes you on the face, turn to him the other. That's humility. That's choosing not to defend oneself, not because you can't. Jesus was meek. He wasn't weak. Jesus allowed himself to suffer, but at any time, he could have put out their lights. That's meek. So, so Peter's writing counterculture. Listen, humble yourself. Live in humility. You don't have to be first. You don't have to defend yourself. Lift others up. Don't demand your own rights. Be humble. He, he follows that up as we go in 1 Peter 3.8. And then he goes to verse 9. So we're learning to be humble, countercultural. Church, we don't have to look like the world. In fact, there was a whole move, and I was, I was raised in the church in that move, of trying to look so much like the world that people would be attracted to you, come to church and get saved. But we went so far that we just looked like the world, there was nothing different about us. So we need to relate with people with sympathy and empathy 
but but we need to live counterculturally. We we live differently. And and the next one is another part of living differently. He says, "Don't return evil for evil." We don't live tit for tat. Isn't that hard? Someone cuts you off. What do you want to do? You really want to cut them off or get right behind them? Drive really fast. Maybe honk your horn. I've never done that. We don't repay evil for evil. And it, it, it's so easy. Someone someone hurts you at work, you want to hurt them right back. Someone does something, and, and Peter's telling us, no, we're not going to live evil for evil. Then he goes on and he says, not just evil for evil, insult for insult. I, I wish there was a certain politician here this morning who I could tell this to. Okay? says, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That's insult for insult. That's slander for slander. Someone slanders you. Someone insults you. We're called not to insult them back. Somebody calls me fat. I say, well, it's okay. You're ugly and I can diet. No. <laughs> We don't do an insult for insult. Husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, we don't do insult for insult. We're called to a different type of life. Different type of life. You know what? I don't have to. You know, the Bible says that I died to my flesh. I'm dead. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the world. I'm alive in Christ. Dead people don't have any rights. Dead people don't need to come back about. So, you know, this. We're dead, so we're, we don't need to do evil for evil, not even insult for insult. I'm going to take it next, next further because the understanding of the word insult is also slander. Okay, so, so I think a lot of us in here, we can hold our tongue in the moment. You know what? I'm just not going to say anything to you. It's going to be good. But tomorrow, I'm going to tell everyone <laughs> how bad you really are. We don't replace slander for slander. You know, we won't get political, but but you know, I don't think we need to be calling names. That's just silly. I'm not. You know, we're not even talking about. You were talking actually about how. See, here here's the deal. When we talk about, you know, just really quick. And we're, if, if you're visiting, we usually end. I'm really good at ending 11. We're gonna go to about 11:15 today, and uh, I hope it'll be be okay to hold you a little bit longer, because we're gonna introduce that thing. But uh, I heard this. And I just want to share. This is a free piece today. Ready? How do you know when what you have is righteous anger compared to just anger? Okay? This, is, this, this may not be fully explanatory, but I love what they, the person said, this pastor said. Jesus had righteous anger. It was never personal. It's not righteous anger if you're taking it personally and you're just getting back at them, even if what they did was wrong. See, righteous anger is that stepping out. It's like, it's not about me that I got my feelings hurt, even if somebody really did hurt your feelings. You know, that's when you go, you know what? I'll let somebody else deal with this because this is all about me right now. I'm feeling hurt, so I'm going to be righteously angered because they legitimately hurt me. I think in that moment, let's not demand our own privilege and let the Lord deal with it. The Bible says, 
vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so we say, Lord, you know, if I do this right now, I think it's going to be too much self in there, so I'm going to choose not to. And I'm just going to give it to you and say, you take care of this. I don't have to give an answer. I don't have to respond to this matter. Do I have this worked out completely in my life? Absolutely not. Am I working on it? Absolutely. So you can help me. Just tell you, know, hey, you know, I'm going to help you, Pastor Rob. You're not doing a good job today. Great, thank you, because I want to do this. Sometimes the only thing that we don't want baptized is our tongue, because we want to still be able to tell people off. And so is that idea of being baptized. You know, the Lord is, is there is a, a righteous anger, and the Lord has it. And, and, you know, we just always have to check ourselves. And so we, we don't want to pay back insult, evil. Instead, what we're actually called to do is the next part here. He says, instead, um, on the contrary, blessing. We're not going to repay evil for evil, slander for slander, but on the contrary, we're going to pay back blessing. And uh, I'll go, go real quick on this. Um, this is exactly what he's talking about, the tongue. So it's like they were looking at my notes. The word blessing, again, Greek, it's fun because that's the way the Bible's written in Greek in the New Testament. Eulogontes. Eulogontes. Eulogy is where we get the word, eulogy. Which when you give a eulogy, you're usually speaking good of somebody who's died. You're probably not going to give a eulogy that starts off with, he was a horrible man. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's speaking good. So, the idea is that when somebody reviles you, when somebody slanders you, you pay back with blessing, and you find something good to say. Like our parents used to teach us, if you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. Right? Yes, right for, you know, that's biblical wisdom. We repay and we speak well of people. And you know, if it takes a while to think of something good to say, then just don't say it. You know what I mean? If I, and there's times, there's, uh, you were angry. I mean, we're real, I'm not saying we're not going to be angry. I'm not going to say we're not going to be hurt. I'm not going to say we're not going to want to get, get revenge. I'm saying in those moments, we need to have part of the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, which really isn't about us. It's about the Spirit controlling us to say, I'm just choosing not to engage right now. I just, Sorry, I, my, I'm, I'm flaming, I'm angry, and I can't think of anything good to say. So I'm just not going to say anything at all. But we want to play back blessing. Now, now, this is awesome. It says, pay back blessing knowing that you were called to this. And the word for called to this is the same word that we get church from. Church literally means the called out ones. So we are the called out ones to live a life where we bless and we don't slander and we don't repay evil and we live in, as in one mind with sympathy and compassion, having brotherly love. This is who we are. We're the called out ones. To this you were called. That you may inherit a blessing. And I'm going to try to do this really fast. We're going to close and invite the new members up that you will inherit a blessing. Okay, well, I, wanna, I like inheriting things. So the idea of inheriting something, pretty good. And you go, well, blessing, it's the same word. You will inherit God speaking well of you. You go, well, that's pretty cool. God speaking well. You've got to follow this. 
Think Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke and it happens. When we repay blessing instead of cursing, we inherit a blessing, a good word from God. When God speaks a good word, it turns into truth and reality. So he's not just saying something nice about us. He declares something to us, and it becomes the blessing that we walk in. I want to receive that. I want to have God speak life and have life over me. And part of the way I do that is by speaking good, speaking life to others, not getting in the fray and repaying evil for evil, tit for tat, slander for slander. We read it this morning in Psalm 34. It says, he, it's right here in 1 Peter 3, 8. He's quoting from Psalms. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We want to be those who are speaking life and receiving the good things from the Lord. I went and did a search, and I'm not going to read them all because we have time, but so many times where the Bible talks about our tongue, and there's the good and the bad. My tongue, Psalm 35 says, will speak of your righteousness. That's what we should be doing. I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin, and I will put a muzzle on my mouth. Anyone else ever need a muzzle on your mouth? Right? I mean, like, otherwise, what do we do? We open mouth, insert foot. I'm going to put a muzzle on it. I'm going to speak life. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is, this is the call for us to live for God and be of one mind. Be sympathetic with one another. Have brotherly love and carry each other's burdens. Be in companionship. Not return evil for evil. Not return slander for slander. But instead bless and inherit the blessing. That's what we're called to. And it's exciting. Clothed with humility. Clothed with humility. We're supposed to walk where we raise others up instead of ourselves. Countercultural. Countercultural. This message ties right in because this is who we are as believers. This is who we are as a body of Christ. And a couple weeks ago, we spent five hours doing our steps class, which we have a number of steps classes. The first steps class is understanding who we are as a, as a body of believers here at Big Bear Christian Center. We spent time with some people, and I explained all of our doctrine and, and, and what we believe, and that you know we are a body of believers here. And anyone who is saved and is lining up with the things that we taught, I talked a little bit about today, um, is it can become a member. And that membership requires that we're going to be faithful to the family. You know, it's, like it's kind of like a marriage. You don't get married and then take off. You get married and you're committed. So that's what membership is. Anybody can attend here, and you can attend forever. We have people who've been attending here and have never done membership, and they've been here for years. They're part of the family. You know, but, but this is just another, it's another way to say, listen, I'm committed. And, you know, if I attend something else, otherwise this is my home. And if, we need, if work needs to be done around the house, I'm part of the family. We're going to do it. We're going to serve here. We're going to give here. 
We're going to help financially. We're going to love one another. And this message is part of that. We're going to try to do all these things and we're going to fail on a weekly basis. Right? We, we can't do it all. But we know where we're going. We're on a journey of faith. We always talk about we're drawing one step closer to Jesus.